It takes a village to raise a child. We all know that, right? But what happens if you can't find your village? Because raising your child is really, really tough. What if you are so filled with shame and doubt and guilt and fear of judgment that you don't share your triumphs and your struggles? You don't talk about it because you don't think anyone can possibly relate. Well, I've been there, and it was really hard for me to find my tribe. So I decided to make mine. I went out and found these amazing mothers who are also in the trenches, struggling to raise their kids. Together, we are a community. And in this podcast on the hard days, you'll find motivating stories from other real moms who get it. We're going to accept who we are and how we show up for our children each and every day, even on the hard days. Well, this is the very first time I've had a guest on my podcast. And um, as my listeners know, this is season two and I'm, I'm changing the format a bit where I'm interviewing real moms who are in the trenches, just like me, they get it. We're working on mindset and we're breaking down stigmas. And so I can't think of a better person truly to kick us off than my guest, Katie Grayson. So Katie, welcome. Nice to have you. Thank you for having me. It's so special. I'm so pumped. So we were just talking before I hit record. We're going to jump into a couple of big topics. We're going to be talking about postpartum struggles, mental health struggles, and then kind of just a, a general focus on the expectations that mothers face on a daily basis and, and how they're impossible to reach. So first of all, Katie, if you don't mind, let's let's back up and share a bit about you, your, your story, whatever you're comfortable with, but give us a little background on who you are. Well, as you introduced me, I am Katie Grayson and I am 34 years old. I am a mother of four boys. One of them is my bonus son. He is 21 years old, um, bonus as in stepson. And then I have three boys that I gave birth to. My first son is Abel. He's six. My middle child is Knox and he is three. And my youngest is nine months old and his name is Hank. And I delivered all of them vaginally though. Um, a couple of times I was almost possibly going through emergency C-section though. I didn't have to go through that aspect of postpartum. I suffer from depression prior to having my children and then postpartum, everything changed. Like I felt as if my hormones were just rocked the boat. And so I struggled from the very beginning. I will say that my middle son, I struggled the least. Um, I found exercise seems to be very helpful for me, but that wasn't the case with my most recent son, Hank, because the pandemic, I didn't really have all of that outlet, we had moved, built a new house and all these crazy things. So um, that's just a little bit of my backstory and what led me to postpartum. Yeah. And so I, I was thinking about how you talked about exercising with your middle guy and it's so true. And I hate exercising. I'm just going to throw that out there. I hate it, but 
it does mess with your, your, I don't know, you just feel so energized and alive when you come back from a good sweaty exercise session. And that probably does speak to it. But when you have newborns or a toddler and a newborn, it is really hard to, you know, carve out time for exercising every day. And so I, we were talking, I don't know, a week or so ago, and I mentioned to you that the surprising motherhood quality I didn't know I had was anger and rage. And you were able to agree with that because I didn't realize that postpartum mental health struggles could look like anger and rage. And and can you speak to that at all? Because I know you, you said that you could totally resonate with that. A hundred percent. And I didn't know that postpartum rage was a thing until my third child. And I honestly didn't experience it truly until my third child. And I just thought I, you know, I blamed it on the pandemic. I blamed it on just being stuck inside and I blamed it on so many other factors, but how I describe it is I have a son, my old or my oldest has ADHD and he's six. And of course we're doing virtual learning. And then my three-year-old, I was in the midst of potty training. He's a toddler. He's going through all these emotional things. And then I have this baby who has these health issues as well. And so I feel like I'm, I'm trying to manage all these different things and then take care of myself and all the postpartum trauma that occurred with my third birth. And when I'm trying to gather my thoughts or try to get something done or just accomplish the simplest task, whether that is, I need to go to the bathroom and that can set me off by either one of my kids asking me a million questions, like ask, and I'm like, I just need to go to the bathroom. Can I get out? And instead of being like one second, mommy needs to go to the restroom. It comes out as rage. And it's like, give me a second. I need to go to the bathroom. What part of that do you not understand? And it goes into this, like, who am I? Like, I cannot recognize who this person is speaking. And it's like this, I am standing outside of my body, staring at this person yelling, being like, what are you doing? But I have zero control over it. And it's not that I hurt my children, physically hurt them, but it's like, it is, it goes from zero to 60. I have zero control over what comes out of my mouth and how angry and hateful it can be sometimes. And then the guilt that follows afterwards is extremely insane. And so, and I don't know, I know that you said that you had experienced it, but, and I don't think anybody talks about this. Like nobody talks about yelling at their kids because you don't want to be that mom. You don't want to be the one that says, Hey, you know, I yell at my kids all day long. And it's like, okay, everybody says you can do that. You know, give yourself some grace, but I'm like, I'm doing it every day. you know, and, and is this normal? And quite frankly, it is, but it doesn't mean that it's okay. It explains it, but it doesn't excuse it. Yeah. And I didn't know, I really didn't know that postpartum rage was a thing. And I remember so clearly, in fact, I can't think of anything else, frankly, in parenting that has brought me more inner shame and guilt 
like a stab you in the heart kind of way than yelling at my kids. Because each time that I have had one of those out of body moments, same as you, it wasn't like a yell. It was a, it was a rage yell. Like I, what is even happening? And the first time I did it, I don't remember what it was about, but my twins were young toddlers, two to three. And of course they were terrified and they were screaming because I scared them. And then I felt just like the absolute worst piece of crap ever. And then the second time, the third time, the fourth time over months, over years. And eventually it got to a point where it no longer scared them. And that also terrified me because it's like, did they think this is normal? Have they internalized that mommy is a yeller and mommy loses her cool? And not only that, but I'm, I'm an educator. I've been a babysitter. I worked in daycares. Working with children was supposed to be my expertise. And then I have my own and I lose it. I mean, just, I still feel that, that shame. And I've stopped with those rage yells. I, I don't know. It's been probably a year or so thanks to therapy and medication, I think, but to know that that may have started out as postpartum related, either that or I'm just a closet yeller and I never knew, but I don't, I don't know, but it's just it, that out of body. Exactly. Who am I? Like I shocked myself and I apologized to the kids. I'm so sorry. Mommy did that. I don't know why I yelled like, and they're two years old and they, they're not even internalizing what I'm saying, but I feel like I have to apologize and make up for it. And it's like, it's just a mess. Now, Tell me about, because we discussed this as well, I'm really not educated on postpartum issues, and I should have been. Sometimes can postpartum issues come out later? Do they always start right away after birth, within a week, within two weeks? How do you know where that line is, whether it's postpartum related or not? I feel um, with my firstborn, I didn't get postpartum until he, until around nine months. I, and it can happen. I mean, you know, science tells you, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an OB nurse or anything, but I am an educated mother who's given birth to three children and tried to educate myself on a disease that I have suffered from. And it can happen at any given time within the moment you give birth to up to a year. And honestly, like if you want, if I give my honest opinion, I think it can go up to two years because the transition from giving birth to a, and then having a one-year-old, the transitions that babies go through and the, and the hormonal changes that you have are significant. And then from one to two is extremely significant as well. And though science doesn't back that up, I just feel that mothers can go through so much within that first two year mark. And it doesn't have to happen the moment you come home with a baby and it can, it can be disguised as so many different things, you know, mothers not being able to attach with their babies, you know, it can be as severe as a psychosis. And, you know, they talk about these postpartum blues and how do you know the difference between postpartum blues and in actual full-blown postpartum depression. And the difference is postpartum blues is a very short lived type thing. And then postpartum depression is something, it's like a fog. It is a heavy weight that just sits on your shoulders and you, in a funk, you can't get out of it. And that's, 
I was fine with my first and then nine months hit or when he was nine months and I just didn't feel myself. I was sad. I, it was almost like the weight, the physical weight that I had gained from pregnancy. It was like, it hit me and I was looking at myself in the mirror and I was just absolutely disgusted with what I saw. And I decided, you know, I was going to change that. And I did Weight Watchers and all these things, but really it wasn't necessarily the weight, which is a health issue. It was my mental health that was the underlying issue. And until I could get that fixed, did I, could I get my weight under control? Yeah. And so so I, I don't think it starts, it doesn't have to start immediately and it can happen at any given time within that first year. And I feel like there's not enough grace given to mothers because I mean, for goodness sake, it's like six weeks of maternity leave back at your job, get it together. You got to lose that weight quick. And don't forget if you have other children in the house, you know, cook those healthy meals. And it's like, you're supposed to just jump right back into it. And your body may have physically healed from giving birth, but, but the mental piece like you said, it could take years, years. And that's, I mean, I don't think people are really considering that, especially not moms themselves. And they're beating themselves up for why am I this way? Maybe I wasn't meant to be a mom. I'm not a good mom. All of those thoughts. And how do we measure? And one of my biggest questions is how do we measure the healing? Like, how do we know that a woman has healed quote unquote, within six to eight, six weeks, if you could do a vaginal delivery, eight weeks, if you do a C-section, how is that measured? And every body is different, but it's like, we're going to put this set in stone time frame for every single mother that this is how it goes in America. Let's be clear. That's in America. Absolutely. And I'm the biggest advocate of that because we are the only first world country in the world that does not have this type of support and leave for mothers. And that honestly stems from it all. If you know that you're getting ready to have a baby, the let's, what are all the mental health issues that are underlying because you're worried you have to go back to work in six weeks and are you going to be ready? And is the baby going to be okay at daycare? And it, what happens if you don't get your breastfeeding in like down pat or your husband only has off the time that you're delivering and goes right back to work. And here you are, if it's your first kid, second kid, third kid, trying to, to navigate all this and you have no support. Some countries give stipends to families post-delivery. And my friend who delivered in the Netherlands, they offer a nurse comes to their house <laughs> for several weeks if they need it. And this nurse isn't is a registered nurse, like equivalent to that, who can help weigh the baby, make sure the baby's good. So the baby doesn't have to leave the house to go to doctor's appointments, grocery shop, laundry, oh cleans the house, takes care of the mother. If you want your feet rubbed, they would rub her feet. Like that, like where have we, like, I don't know if I could even handle that because I don't <laughs> even know what that's like. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot, but, but that needs to be offered and you should be able to take what you need from that because it's about valuing the mother, 
And that's the bigger picture here, right? Because I mean, we're not going to get political, not, not in this podcast, but, but the, the idea, <laughs> but the idea is where is the value on moms being moms, not on women getting back to work ASAP? Where's that? Wow. You've done this thing. How can we support you in your time of need? It's just, it's so frustrating, so frustrating. And I felt that loneliness that first year of having my first two, my twins, it is unbelievably lonely. My husband had to go back to work. Everybody's at work. And you're just sitting there with babies, crying, changing diapers, trying to breastfeed. It's like, how is this the start of our motherhood? Exactly. And, and the thought is, you know, they talk about how he, like, that is your job. Like you're staying at home. This is how you take care of the baby and your husband goes off to work and that's how he provides and that kind of thing. And but the difference is, is a job that you leave to go to, in which I've had both. I've been a full-time mom, like working outside the home and I've stayed at home. And, but you don't get that person-to-person interaction, which in itself causes so many mental problems. And let's throw this recent pandemic in the Yes, yes. And humans need that interaction it is like a part of us and when we don't get it it causes mental issues in our heads like we feel that loneliness we feel the helplessness and when you can't get any of those because you don't have your village which doesn't exist anymore and because of a pandemic so if you did have a village it has now been stripped away from you and it is just just so uh, hard. Just yeah, hard. it's so hard. And unfair. I don't know. It makes it makes me angry, I guess. And I just I do remember that feeling. Yes, yes. Yes. You can't breathe. You can't and breathe. You don't know. I remember going to Costco with the twins on maternity leave once they were, you know, a few months in and it's like a little old lady made some comment It was like the first person I had spoken to during daylight hours in like a month. And it was this, this just shouldn't be, this just should not be. And I think this kind of leads into the next piece here, that pressure as well. Not only are we not valuing the mothers by supporting us in a million different ways, mentally, physically, whatever, but then it's like, not only that, but get back to work and also make sure that you do all the things at home. How did you handle that sort of perfectionism as a mother piece? Because my audience knows that that was a big, was and is a big struggle with me that trying to be perfect in every single way. It is still a struggle for me. I'm definitely a type A personality and I love things to be in order. And one of the things, you know, we're, you talked about mothers like having to get this perfect body back in place and then you're supposed to return back to the workforce and you're supposed to be in 100% the mindset and don't worry about the baby and don't call home and and don't do these things and you're just supposed to be mentally all there and then if you are a stay-at-home mom you're supposed to have a clean house laundry done um your kids are supposed to be in clean matching clothes (laughs) and fed three plus meals a day that look like straight out of Pinterest. (laughs) And you're supposed to cook 
um, clean foods that are like fresh out of the garden. And organic. Like, yes, organic <laughs> and grass fed beef and all these things. And then when your husband comes home, you know, you're supposed to give him all the attention and make sure that his met, his needs are met outside the bedroom, inside the bedroom. And it's not realistic. How is it possible that one person's job description has all of these things in it? Yes. Like how, and when did this happen and who did it? Like who wrote this job description? (laughs) Like I really fire them (laughs) fired. Yeah. 100%. You were fired and you better not be a female. (laughs) No. And I guarantee you it wasn't. I think it's just so much. And even if you have a supportive spouse and partner at home who is like, Hey, like I'll help with this and I'm going to do this. And I'm, it's a team effort. There's still this pressure that women feel, and it may be self-given, but it's there and it's real. It's and self-given. Just, yeah. And we need to, to stop that. And that's not just postpartum. That's, that's all through, right? That's just motherhood in general. The constant, I'm sorry. Oh, when my husband yeah. wakes up, cause you know, working, you know, night shift, he, when he wakes up and the house is in disarray, I'm just, I say, I'm sorry. Yes. I'm sorry. The house looks like this. And before he even says anything, he, I mean, he doesn't. And as far as I know, he doesn't even notice it you know, and, and he is extremely supportive. I am lucky in the aspect that he does laundry and he'll do dishes and the man cooks because I may be able to bake a cookie and bake all these things, but you know, spaghetti is my like, um, forte. Let me, (laughs) let me just be honest there. And, and so he cooks all these amazing meals and has been amazing throughout having to go dairy free with my son's allergies and and things like that. But I also have this expectation that he should be able to read my mind of, of how I'm feeling um, throughout all of this. And so I have that unreal, like that pressure that's on me to have the house together. And when it's not, I have this expectation on him to tell me that it's okay. And then when he doesn't, that's a whole other ball game. Yes. It's like, yes. what am I doing? Yes. <laughs> so it is self-inflicted. Like, why can't I personally be okay that the house is a wreck when he wakes up? Yes. I, I, and I don't know where that started, but it is that unrealistic expectation that, again, I'm supposed to be the skinny wife and fit wife and um, the house is supposed to be clean and I'm supposed to have dinner ready and I'm just not that person. And yet I still feel guilty. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, that, that phrase, like when women say, Oh, I'm finally fitting into my jeans again or something as if that's the goal. And, and Hey, like, good for you. I still don't fit into my jeans and my kids are, almost I don't own jeans. <laughs> Let's t- I don't even own jeans. Same. Oh leggings. Team leggings, leggings all the way, sweatpants and leggings, actually. And, and it's just, and if that's what you want to do, right. And there's nothing wrong with pursuing 
I want to be a runner now and I want to whatever. Fine. Great. But there shouldn't be guilt attached if you don't reach that marker. And that, that perfectionism, that high standard, it's so unrealistic. And we hold each other to that too. Unfortunately, moms hold other moms to that same standard. And it's like, I can't tell you how many times I have heard a mom say, probably even myself, no, not myself, because my house is always trashed. But like for, for a mom who's got like just the tiniest mess, the tiniest mess, and you go in there and they say, I'm so sorry, my house is a mess. And I think your, your house is a mess. Like, where's the mess? Are we apologizing for normal human life? Try not to mention just raising our babies and just becoming the mothers that we were meant to be. We can't really get into that role when we have too many tabs open in our brains. So it's just, it's just such a struggle. And then, you know, how are you doing? It's been a rough, I know, week for you, but how are you doing now with postpartum, with the mental health piece, with accepting yourself for who you are? It is a constant, I don't want to say battle because I don't want it to come across as I'm battling something that isn't good. I, it is a constant journey to become the best version of myself. And I know, I know who I am without taking medicine and I know who I am with taking medicine and I'm not ashamed of it. And I will shout it from the rooftops. I, you know, have gone through several different medications and if it doesn't work, I'm on to the next one. And I was, I did have a great one. And then postpartum this go around, it worked for my other two pregnancies. It didn't work with this one. And I was open with my doctor and told her it wasn't working anymore. And then I had been on it for a while. And like you said, I had a really rough week that had to do with my son's allergy issues. And we, because of being open and because of doing all these social media platforms and things like that and opening up, I, I felt compelled to actually practice what I preach and that, okay, I am not doing okay right now. And it's not that when somebody says that they're not okay, it doesn't mean that they can't function, that I can't go about my day with taking care of my kids. It doesn't mean that I can't be the best mom for them. It just means that I am not okay inside my skin right now. And saying that I'm not okay is okay. Correct. Correct. And I, and because of that, I reached out to my doctor again and I told her I am not okay. And she said, okay, let's get, let's change the medication, the medication. Let's try Zoloft. And I was on board, you know, I, and I told, I talked to my husband about it. He thought it was a great idea. And here we are. I picked it up today and I'm, I've never been more excited to take a medication before. <laughs> we talk about the normalcy of in, in our house of taking medicines. Like it's not that this medicine changes who I am. It makes me who I actually am. Yes. And I think it's hard for people to see that. And 
it's, I want them to see that I physically, the Katie that was born and made as I grew older, had a deficit in the ability to form the chemicals for me to be able to process stressful situations properly. Yes. I am incapable of doing that. And that is not healthy. That is not Katie. That I wouldn't be this person who is bubbly or being able to talk about this or being able to do things if I didn't take these medicines. And so I am the best version of myself on this medicine because it fills that deficit. It is the, it is the missing puzzle piece to the amazing masterpiece. Yes. And so I, I am a huge advocate for it. And I know that it is not for everyone. That is not, you know, not one size fits all. And so that is not me even advocating like everybody go out and get pills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just saying that I have recognized a deficit in myself and being proactive about it. Yeah. And that's, you're just so brave and matter of fact and courageous in the way that you talk about it. And, you know, medication is pretty new to me still, but yeah, we've got to break that stigma. We've got to get rid of that because it is, I like the way you described it. You are your true self on that medication. For me, it felt like there was a, I don't know, like a, a film or something on top of my persona and the medication washed it clean and took that away and left me with me. It took away freaking out over little things and, and frankly, being controlling and obsessive about certain topics around raising my kids and snapping at my husband because I'm worried. And that's really what it was. It was worry, but it comes out as anger. And now it's just gone. And I think what, what the whole point here is, and as you just said, like you do you, you do whatever you need to do, but that's the whole point. Let mothers do what they need to do to be their healthiest selves, whatever that may look like. And that may look like therapy and medication, and it may look like a longer maternity leave for every single mother. It may look like judgment-free bed sharing and breastfeeding till whatever age. And there's just, let it all go and just let a mother heal and raise her babies. I just, that's, that's gotta be the goal. So you were brave, my friend. Well, thank you. I, I feel that I know that I went through all these struggles to get to the point that I am now. And, you know, they talk about that story where if you just throw one starfish in the water, then you've saved one. And if I could just change that outlook for one person, then I know that I did it. And I don't even have to know that person. Nope. And they don't even have to like come back and tell me that, that I, I made a difference, but that is, I don't want to stay quiet for that very reason. And, and I don't, and, and for my children too, like I have three boys, but whether they struggle with mental health issues with the genetic makeup of families or if they have wives one day, that's the route that they take and their wives need help. 
then I want them to be able to look back at their mom being so open about it. And when they, when they start noticing, you know, that I take my medicine every day, I'm going to tell them. And, and I do that in the postpartum journey as well. Like I remember being a few months postpartum and my six-year-old came up and, and poked me in the stomach and said, why are you so squishy mommy? Mm -hmm. And, and I responded because that's what that, that used to be your home. Like I carried you in there (laughs) and it's gotta be squishy, you know, for that. And, and I know not every mom is squishy postpartum and, and some moms have the glorious, they go, they bounce right back to their previous weight. But I wanted him to know that that wasn't just a squishy belly. That was his home. I love that. And so I, I try to normalize those things with, with my boys so that they know what a body looks like after having one baby, two babies, three babies, so that when they have wives one day, if they can be that support system for them and changing the narrative of the stigma of medication, changing the narrative of seeking out therapy, changing the narrative that you're disgusting because you have stretch marks or you're 50 pounds overweight. And I'm not promoting unhealthiness at all. But what I am promoting is that you are not a horrible person because you're carrying an extra 50 pounds. You are not less worthy of a person. And anybody who is going through that needs a support system to to carry on to be the best version of themselves. And I know doing this is only going to set the stage for who they, the lives that they lead to, even though I'm not raising girls. So, and it's just as important Yep. Um, either way. And so I'm brave because I want to be, I want to change the narrative. I think it's ridiculous. And I don't want people to be ashamed that they take a pill. I remember, sorry to kind of change the subject. Oh, when my mother-in-law would <laughs> come and visit, I would turn my pill bottles Ugh. backwards because I didn't want, I was afraid. And, and even if we had guests, like I didn't want anybody to see that I was on medicine. I'm like, what does it matter? And so I've gotten to that point where yeah. I'm like, whatever, I'll leave it out on my counter. What's yeah. up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, how do I explain this? Because you're fighting against, and even if they weren't going to say or think anything, you were fighting against a society full of judgment and expectations that are impossible to reach. So there's, there's shame and there's guilt just in taking medicine, which is ridiculous. And so again, I can't think of a better person than you to kickstart having guests on my show. Like you are so inspiring in the way you talk about your own mental health. And you said, you know, if I reach one person and it's not really an, if it's a, it's a definite, yes, I guarantee so many people, you know, you've got like a whole lot of followers on Instagram too, just saying. So I know that you are getting through to people and what a, what a way to share it because you don't have to lie through it. You're not saying that your sunshine and rainbows every single day. It's a tough go 
but here you are and you're showing up. You're showing up every day. And I just, you're, you inspire me. You, you rock. You're awesome. If well, you're you want to speak. Oh, well, thank you. So as we wrap, wrap it up here, if you could give, I mean, you've kind of touched on a lot of amazing points, but if you could give just kind of one message to that mom who is listening right now, who may be going through some postpartum things or maybe not, but either way is struggling. What would your main message be if she walked through your door right now? You are not alone. You are absolutely not the only person who has had any of the thoughts that you have thought. And you're not the only one who has done the things that you have done. And you're not the only one feeling the things that you're feeling. There is a mother out there who has done that. And you and I are living proof, the postpartum rage. Yep. I had no clue. And here, here we are like mothers in two different States meeting on social media platforms who have a commonality in something postpartum. And so that's what I want to tell every mom out there in the thick of postpartum is whatever it is that you are going through, there is another mother out there going through it too. You are not alone. Yes. And not only is there another mother, but there's thousands, millions, probably all mothers. Some are better at hiding it than others, but you know, we're all, find me a mother who is raising children who does not ever struggle with mom guilt, who does not ever struggle with being worried about how other people are going to view her. Like find me that mom. I don't think they exist. We all are feeling the same feeling. You're like a rock star. They're hiding. They're hiding. They're hiding because of, and I get it. I get it. But some hide better than others. Now, if my listeners want to reach out to you because you're so darn inspirational, how can they find you? What's the best way? Instagram, or I guess the kids are calling it the gram. The gram. The gram. <laughs> I'm on the gram. We're on the gram. Um, Katie's Cookies, C-A-D-I-E-S, Cookies, all one word, and DM me. I, I pride myself on responding to people who message me. And because I'm a mom, I may not get back to you right away, but I'm there. You're so amazing. Thank you, Katie. I so, so, so appreciate you coming on to chat with me today and I'll be catching you on Clubhouse (laughs) soon. Thanks, friend. Thanks for listening today. If you would like to talk with me personally, where we can chat and just get to know each other like old friends, I would love to do a discovery call with you. Go to my website, ontheharddays.com and click on schedule a call. And if you're not already subscribed to this podcast, please do so so that you get the latest when they roll out. Not to mention, please leave a review if you feel like this episode spoke to you. That way, the podcast will be shown to more mothers. And finally, you can find me on Instagram at on the hard days with dots in between each word or in my free Facebook community, On the Hard Days Podcast and Community. If you are feeling isolated in your parenting journey, I encourage you to reach out through any of these means so that I can connect you with your people and support you in whatever way you need.